Welcome. Here is this past Sunday's sermon from Grant Memorial Church. All right, awesome. Well, good morning. Um, my name is Cam. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, uh, welcome to Grant Memorial on this second Sunday of Advent and first Sunday of December. That's right. It's December already. Now, along the lines of it's December already, how many of us here have already switched over to Christmas music in terms of our seasonal listening habits? Okay, yeah, pretty good. That's a pretty good, uh, pretty good number. Um, I know that there are some people who never listen to Christmas music, and then there are some people who uh, listen to Christmas music exclusively from like September 5th when they get their first pumpkin spice latte, and there's no turning back until February or March. And then there's regular people who typically start at some point in December, uh, you know, when the Christmas tree goes up, you know, around now. Um, for me, I think that Christmas songs are great. We're, uh, we're in the process of ramping up, you know, listening to Christmas music. It's starting to show up a little bit, but we're not all in yet. We're kind of getting there. But just to give you something uh, to think about, as you're listening to your favorite uh, familiar titles this season, I recently came across a game that invites people to ruin a Christmas song by adding one word to the title. I thought we could, you know, laugh together at a few of the better ones. So one example of ruining a Christmas song by adding a word would be, Oh, holy night terrors. Right? (laughs) Oh, holy night terrors. Right? You see, it it totally changes the feel of the song, doesn't it? Okay, so how about uh, Little Metal Drummer Boy? Right? uh, That one's for the young man who was playing on the drums last week. Here's a few more. I'll be homeschooled for Christmas. Uh, or O Little Town of Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. It's a real place, by the way. Uh, This one, I'm not sure if I want to know what this actually sounds like, but Carol of the Taco Bells. (laughs) And uh, my personal favorite is a child of the 80s. What child is this, Maury? (laughs) If if you don't know Maury Povich, um, you might not get that. If you do, I may be being sacrilegious right now, but... I wanted to make a comment about, you know, Joseph, you are not the father, but I won't do that. Anyways, you get the picture, right? And so now you can all play this fun game at home with your families over the next month with each and every song that plays, right? Just add one word and see what you can come up with as a family, right? I'm just here to to help bring your family joy this holiday season. And wouldn't you know it, uh, today our Advent theme is joy, If you weren't with us last week, we're doing, uh, what we're doing for this Advent season is we're asking where in the world we find hope, joy, love, and peace, right? That which we are invited to celebrate at Christmas, and then we're taking some time to pray that God would bring these things about. And this week, we're looking for joy. Uh, Just a couple weeks ago, I was sitting with Jeff and Steve in a little diner, And I watch out of the corner of my eye as a somewhat elderly gentleman, dining alone, picked up the sugar to pour it into his coffee. And unfortunately, the lid had not been screwed on very tight. And so as he poured, the lid popped off and nearly the entire contents of the shaker dumped into his coffee and all over the table in front of him. There was a a brief pause as he kind of processed what took place before he... Before he what... 
How do you think he responded? Or rather, how would you respond in a situation like that? You've just dumped two cups of sugar in your coffee all over the table, some on your lap. Now, I really like the tension of this story because there are multiple options available to us, right? Did he berate the server? Did he slam his fists in anger? Did he start swearing as he jumped up, wiping the mess away from himself? Well, this particular man on this particular day slowly started to shake his head, and then he burst into laughter. A a huge smile appeared on his face, and I watched as this man simply giggled. It was actually a beautiful moment of simple joy, and as I watched, I couldn't help but giggle along, right? We made, he looked up, and we kind of made eye contact, and we both kind of shrugged our shoulders, and he just laughed it off. And that, that simple moment of, or, or, or that, that, yeah, basic moment of simple joy reminded me that I actually don't see that very often, right? Which is why I posed the question to us mid-story, if we're honest, how many of us would have actually laughed? And how many of us may have reacted very differently, Right, if we're honest, how many of us, whether it's a, a sugar or salt fiasco, an untimely red light while driving, or a burnt grilled cheese sandwich at home, default to anger rather than joy? How many of us act devastated in circumstances that ought not to call for distress when you really think about it? How many of us maybe take ourselves, our ease, our comfort a little too seriously and in doing so, miss out on the joy that is available to us? Uh, Last week, we asked the question, where is the hope? Right? When we look around us, when we look at our culture, where do we find hope? And we discovered that hope is essentially absent in our culture, that hope has largely been lost, and that without Jesus Christ and the assurance of an eternity with him, there really isn't hope. Well, today, in a similar way, we ask the same question of joy. Where is the joy in our culture, in our world? Does does an honest assessment point towards a joyful human existence? Are we actually a joyful people? And if not, where can we find it? Now, as opposed to last week, where we determined that that hope was absent or increasingly lost in our world, when it comes to joy, I think the word that best defines the state we find ourselves in is misplaced. I think we've misplaced our joy. I think that our world has largely mistaken joy for mere happiness. And as a result, we default to chasing what makes us happy rather than what will produce actual joy in our lives. In fact, joy is a word that itself is all but absent today, right? Think about it. When's the last time you heard someone talking about, you know, this makes me really joyful or that's a really joyful person? Well, on the flip side, happiness has become elevated to near godlike status Right? Do whatever makes you happy. Right? That's our cultural mantra. In a recent poll, when asked what they ultimately want most for their children, nearly 80% of Canadian parents answered that they want their kids to be happy. Their highest priority, their ultimate goal for their kids is their happiness. And while this is telling, 
it, it shouldn't shock us, right? This is culture's highest value. Even the American Declaration of Independence declares that all humans have the unalienable right to pursue happiness, right? And on the surface, that stuff sounds really wonderful, commendable even, right? What, what's wrong with happiness? And the answer is nothing. Happiness is wonderful, and I, I hope that we are all happy much more than we are not. However, the problem comes when happiness becomes our goal rather than a byproduct of that which is real and lasting. You see, happiness is not an end because happiness is a feeling, and as a feeling, it is fleeting, right? Happiness is an emotion and lasts only as long as the circumstances that trigger it continue, Right, so if my favorite sports team is winning a game, I'm, I'm happy about it. But once the game turns in another direction, so goes my happiness. Or if I'm riding a, a snowmobile, enjoying myself, completely happy, a simple wrong decision or an errant branch on a path can put an abrupt end to the happiness that I'm experiencing. Or if a specific relationship is going well, I'm really happy. But once the relationship starts to shift I become unhappy and dissatisfied, right? Friends, happiness, because it is an emotion, is completely circumstantial. And so when we chase happiness as a goal, we're chasing after something that we can never actually acquire, right? Like a, that carrot at the end of the stick that we can never quite reach because the truth is we cannot possess happiness, we only experience happiness for a while, but we just can't be happy all the time because our circumstances will not always pull in our favor, which is why when, when we look at our culture, we do find glimpses of happiness while it lasts, but not so much lasting joy. And the pe perpetual chase continues as many leave marriages, Homes, jobs, identities, associations, beliefs, all in search of the next thing that will make them happy, not really realizing that the pursuit of happiness will never end. But joy, on the other hand, is something that we can possess. It is something that we can be in the background no matter what emotion or mood we may experience, right? It's a virtue that doesn't depend on circumstances, but rather transcends our circumstances, right? Joy, unlike happiness, is not fleeting and isn't linked to the cards that we have been dealt. In fact, true biblical joy is often and most obviously seen in the midst of difficult circumstances, Listen to Christ's scriptural command to be joyful in Matthew 5, 12. He says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and, say, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, he ends with. Rejoice and be glad? Right? Joy is not circumstantial. I don't think anyone would make the mistake and think that these characteristics he just listed are positive. Right? Being insulted, persecuted, lied about. Not ideal circumstances. Right? Not happy times. Not easy or comfortable. But Christ says you can have joy even in these circumstances. Right? While you can't be both happy and sad at the same time, 
a joyful person can experience both happiness and sadness and a whole gamut of emotions, ease and difficulty through life's ups and downs as their joy provides perspective and hope in all things. So if joy is not found in our circumstances, right, food, entertainment, gifts, health, new relationships, promotions, where is joy to be found? If joy doesn't look like happiness, what does it look like according to God's word? Well, in the same way that we realize that true hope is found in Christ, as we opened the scriptures last week, the Bible answers this question, where is the joy in kind by pointing us to God? I invite you to turn with me in your copy of the scriptures to Philippians chapter 4, where we're going to read uh, the Apostle Paul unpacking biblical joy. So Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 4, and we'll read through to verse 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that we would find joy in digging into it together today. Amen. What a perfect text for our conversation today. Did you notice that the first thing that Paul asserts in this passage is the where question that we're asking? In verse 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord always, right? Rejoice in the Lord, right? The where is already answered. Find your joy in the Lord, he says. Attach your joy to God, not in anything that cannot They cannot deliver joy, right? And in this way, joy is similar to hope that we talked about last week, right? It's only when we look above our present circumstances and look to God, when we live in light of the fact that the moment we find ourselves in is not all there is, that God is above, that God is greater, that we will ever experience joy not dictated by our circumstances, Right? Everything on this earth changes. Everything will let us down because it will change or because it will come to an end. All except the eternal one. Which is why Paul says rejoice not in things, not in success, not in position, but rejoice in God who is above all of those things. Right? True, true joy that transcends circumstances comes from the hope that God does not change, he will never change, and he invites us into eternal existence and his presence, right? True joy is only possible when we have hope that there is more than what we see in front of us, which is why last week came before this week, right? Our joy comes when our hope is properly placed in every situation. And Paul emphasizes this call to consistency in this passage with the strength of the language he uses. Uh, Look at verse 4. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord when? 
always, right? There's no time where joy in the Lord is not appropriate. In verse 5, he says, let your gentleness be evident to who? All, right? Everyone. Verse 6, don't be anxious about what? Anything. Verse 6, but in what? Every situation, right? Joy is available and can exist in any and every context because God is present and active in any and every context. If we put our joy in him, we can always have joy, right? A little bit more on that later, but he says rejoice in the Lord, who he is, what he has done, and what he is bringing about Okay, so Paul tells us where and when to place our joy. In God, in every circumstance. And then he goes on to share what joy is or what biblical joy is, right? What the characteristics are in the lives of the joyful. And the first thing that he says is that the joyful are gentle, right? The joyful are gentle. Verse 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. Now, if you're like me, you may be wondering how joy and gentleness are linked, right? Why does Paul go from rejoice in the Lord to talking about gentleness, right? How how does that connect? Well, it comes back to perspective, right? Those who hope in the Lord and carry the joy of that truth with them should not be devastated when earthly things disappoint, Those with joy in their hearts walk through life gently, not like an unpredictable bull in a china shop. When, When I understand the insignificance of so many things in the grand scheme of things, right, when I don't have my state of being, my happiness. Uh, you know, riding on the things that are in front of me going my way, then I can take things in stride, right? I don't live a life of overreaction, right? The hope that we have beyond what we see should impact every single day, every little minor detail, and we should be comparatively more peaceful, more controlled, more steady, more hopeful than those who have so much more riding on the present, right? Our gentleness should be evident to all as we are steady in the face of many things because our joy is in what is steady. Next, Paul says that the joyful are not anxious. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. What a difference uh, that statement is from the reality of the culture that we find ourselves in where stress and anxiety rage, right? Paul says that those who find their joy in the Lord don't need to be anxious because God is trustworthy. The one who, in whom you put your joy in is trustworthy, right? We know that he is over everything, that he is good, that he knows what is best, and he's powerful enough to bring it about. As we read in Romans eight twenty eight, it says, we know That in all things, not some things, all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been been called according to his purpose, right? In every circumstance, God is in control, and God will ultimately use every situation for good if we place our trust in him. And so any situation, every situation can be viewed with joy, 
Now, this doesn't mean that we aren't concerned, that we're not nervous, that we don't have any anxious thoughts along the way, right? As we talked about earlier, emotions are sometimes beyond our control or are mostly beyond our control, right? They come and go, and that's just a part of life, right? We will experience difficulties. Life will be hard. But this text means that we don't need to let these anxieties fester, or take over. We don't, uh, they don't need to control or cripple us, right? We don't need to wallow in our anxieties, but we can hand them over to God. Which brings us to the next point that Paul makes. He says, joyful people are prayerful people. Verse six, do not be anxious about anything, right? We've seen that. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, right? The reason that we don't wallow in our anxieties is because we can give our anxieties away, right? We can give them to God. Again, it's not that we don't have legitimate concerns or that our circumstances aren't worthy of worry. It's just that there is a more effective way to worry, and Paul calls that prayer. American pastor and author Matt Chandler, in his book, To Live is Christ, coins a phrase by encouraging us to worry at God, right? Worry at God. Chandler himself, who uh, has, has worked through many difficult circumstances, professionally and personally, says that it's not that there aren't things to worry about, it's just that rather than worrying to ourselves, we're invited to worry at God. That's essentially what Paul invites us to here in this text. He says, don't be anxious, but rather pray your concerns to God, right? When you face challenges or feel yourself becoming anxious, worry at God and let him take your anxieties. Or as 1 Peter 5, 7 puts it, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And I would add, because he can carry them for you. Church, let me ask you, who or what do you worry at? Do you keep it inside, right, and dwell on things that are out of your control, allowing them to weigh on you and impact every other facet of your life? Do you worry at your fingernails? Do you bring your anxieties to junk food or other distractions? Do you worry at your spouse or at your friends who really, when it comes down to it, don't have the capacity to help? Or do you worry at God? By telling him what's on your mind and then releasing it, walking in joyful confidence, knowing that he, God, is in control of everything. Finally, Paul writes that joyful people are grateful people. Verse 6 again. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, and here's the little caveat he puts in there, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Right? We don't simply worry at God, but we remind ourselves along the way of what God has done for us when we've worried at him before how he has been faithful in our lives in the past, and we remind ourselves that he is working in every situation that we're bringing before him, right? Thanking him for his presence in all things. Right? Knowing that joy 
is not just found in happy circumstances. The joyful can appreciate their circumstances, whatever they may be. Now, that doesn't mean that we like every circumstance, but we can know that God is above it all and will use every situation, no matter what it is, for good and will provide peace along the way. Verse 7, and the peace of God. This is like a so, so then what, right? So what type of answer in this verse. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Right, church, there is peace available to those who trust in the Lord. To those who hope in the Lord. To those who place their joy in the Lord. And this peace, verse 7 says, transcends understanding, right? That's, you know, kind of the Greek equivalent of it will blow your mind. I think I've shared this story before, but this true story bears repeating. I heard uh, a story about a Christian man who is suffering through brain cancer and its treatments. And his relationship with Jesus was such that, that a nurse who was on duty wrote as a critical comment in his chart, Mr. X is inappropriately joyful. <laughs> right? In her mind, he shouldn't be joyful. Right? At a time like this, in this circumstance. And here's the thing, she's right if his circumstances were his hope. She's right if he was simply in pursuit of happiness, but he wasn't. As our text tells us, there is a peace that doesn't make sense that is available through Jesus Christ. A peace that seems irresponsible, that seems inappropriate to those who do not have the joy of the Lord and the eternal hope that produces it. Church, our relationship with Jesus and our hope of our future with him ought to be such that we are seen by others as inappropriately joyful. Because while our circumstances may say one thing, our assurance in the promises of God tells us quite another. And that is something to be eternally grateful for. Now all of this brings us to one final question. Right? Paul's told us what joy is. Uh, who it is to be placed in, and when joy is to be exercised all the time. But there is still a question of why that remains. Right? Why are we able to have this kind of joy? Why can we be joyful in all things? Why can we have peace in difficulty? Why is our hope not futile? Paul sneaks the answer into this text. It's not obvious, but it's there. In verse 5, Paul pens four simple words that change everything. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Right? We can be joyful in all circumstances because the Lord is near. We are not alone. The God of the universe is walking with us no matter where we go, no matter what we find ourselves up against. Right As we read God speaking to Joshua in Joshua 1.9, he says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. 
Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. That's the type of God we serve, right? Friends, God is close to us in every circumstance. He is active in our lives. He is present in our trials. He is working in our midst. The Lord is near. And there's a special word in the scriptures for that nearness, for that presence. Do you remember what it is? Emmanuel, which means God is with his people. God is with us. Friends, it is this very presence that we celebrate at Christmas, right? We've already sung about it this morning. That's what Christmas is. If you don't know what Christmas is about, here's the answer. Christmas is a celebration of God's presence. Turn to your neighbor and say that. Christmas is a celebration of God's presence. Right? It's a celebration that he came as a baby to live among us and to die bringing us salvation. Christmas is a celebration that he is coming again to initiate a glorious, everlasting future with him. And Christmas is a celebration that he is presently here through the work of the Holy Spirit, walking with us each and every day through the happy times and the not-so-happy times. Friends, Emmanuel, God with us, is true today. And that is the message of Christmas. And as the angel said to the shepherds, On the day that Jesus was born, this is good news that should cause us great and exceeding joy. Now, as we do on the first Sunday of every month, uh, a little later on in the service, we're going to thank God for his presence through uh, the participation in communion. As we remember and celebrate together what his presence accomplished in making a way for us to have eternal life, giving us the ability to live with joy because of the hope that we have. But right now, we're going to do as the joyful do, as we just read about. We're going to pray together, just like we did last week, that God would make his joy known to a world that is looking for it in all of the wrong places. Now, if you weren't here last week, This is new for you. We're going to be doing something a little bit different over the season of Advent, and we're going to actually be spending a little bit of time together throughout each Advent service, praying together in small groups. It could be just two of you or three of you or whoever happens to be around. And we're going to be praying around the topics and truths that we've explored together in the scriptures. Now, to help you, uh, there will be some prayer prompts up on the screen behind me. Right? If, you're unassure, or if you're unsure of what to pray for or what words to use. And I will tell you what I told you last week. We are not here to force anyone to do anything that they're uncomfortable with. Right? You don't need to participate. There's permission. Right? Although I would encourage you to try. But you have permission to sit and to pray and reflect on your own. But for those who are willing, for those who are able, we're going to spend, you know, the next five or six minutes asking Emmanuel, asking God with us, among us now, to intervene on behalf of our friends, to intervene on behalf of our neighborhood, our city, our world, 
that they would find the joy that comes from knowing him. So why don't you split up into some groups, or you can not make eye contact and, you know, stay there by yourself. But let's split up into groups, spend the next few minutes praying for the joy of the world. Thanks for listening with us. For more information about our church or upcoming services and events, please visit us at grantmemorial.ca or on social media at at grantmemorialchurch.com.